If you've been at Garden Chapel for a while, you'll go, I think you preached on that be- this chapter before, and yes, indeed, I don't know, it was years ago when I preached on this chapter, but not in relation to going through the book of Psalms. And to today, we're going to challenge you with what the Word of God says uh, in Psalm 103. I will tell you that the psalmist is talking to himself. Notice what it says. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. The psalmist needed to remind himself of something that we needed to be reminded of and continually need to be reminded of. And that is that there is a Savior, there is a God who is worthy of our praise, our gratitude, our thanksgiving, And we need to proclaim his name. Bless the Lord. It is not one of those things as, well, it's an option if you feel like it, do it. It's actually written the very beginning of the psalm, and you're going to see this at the very end again. It's imperative. It means it's a command. And so you have a choice. You can either be obedient or disobedient. You can carry out the command that God has given, or you cannot carry it out and be disobedient. A rebel. But the truth of the matter is, God has the right to command us, and we'll see at the end of the chapter also, all the world. I don't understand that one. We sang a song, Let the Rocks Be Silent. I just don't understand the very end of it, and I'll be, tell you that right up front. It's how can nature, how can creation and rocks and trees, how can they praise the Lord? But they are commanded in this psalm to do exactly that. I think a lot of the things that Mike does will touch on that. Because when we look at creation, it absolutely screams, there's a creator! Look to him, not to me. I believe maybe that's the only way I can understand that. But today, we'll be challenged in that way. I have a proposal for you. What we are thankful for shows us what we believe is important in life. Think about that. The things that you're really, really thankful for are the things that are really, really important in your life. So you can gauge your life by what do you thank God for. This morning we will look at the pardon that he's provided, the provisions he has, and a few other things, in and the protection he has as we go through this psalm. So let's look. Oh, by the way, have any of you ever had to be commanded to grumble, criticize, complain, just plain be miserable? Anybody ever had to be commanded to do that? No, because our old sin nature, that's our immediate response. You can see a hundred good things and one bad thing and one bad thing and instantly you complain. We all do it. No one's exempt from that. It's just the way we are. Default mode is complain, moan, groan, you name it. But we need to be commanded. We need to be reminded. And as this psalm will do, we need to remind ourselves. I don't know if you talk to yourself, but I do tend to talk to myself at times. Um, I don't know. Becky has never committed me yet but she's probably heard me arguing with the author of a book, a commentary or something. I know when I'm working in my shop, I'll go, you dummy, why did you do that? Or if I do something that is not all that bright with another person, I go, Paul, you dummy, how can you be so stupid? Now, I, I think I'm mentally stable, but I know one thing. 
I talk to myself, and this psalmist was talking to himself, so I'm in good stead. David absolutely had no problem saying, David, you need to be a thankful person. I'm saying to you that I need to remind Paul Malfair, be a thankful person, and guess what? You need to do the same thing. And you may need to remind yourself some days, often, to be a thankful person. So let's look exactly what it says here, starting in Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Notice, I already told you, it's a command, and then it says, and all that is within me. You know what this is not talking about? This is not talking about a Sunday morning worship service, even though it should include that. It says, with everything that I am, all that is within me. It's a hard attitude. It comes from the inside and goes to the outside. It's not simply a place or a time or an event. It is everything that's within me. It's not an outward show. It's not just I sang some songs that praise God. Well, I'm glad you did. But if you didn't mean it, it meant nothing. It's with everything that I am, I am to bless God. I am to praise Him, to be a thankful, grateful person. But it goes on to say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. Wow, do we forget. We've had a great week. Everything went well, and then one thing happens. And all of a sudden, all the benefits God has given us, all the praises we had, just go right down the tubes instantly because that one thing that didn't go our way, one thing we didn't like. He says, don't forget his benefits. And that's what is going to be kind of the theme this morning. He says, let's not forget his benefits. <clears throat> Because indeed, he has given them, and he set them forth right here in this psalm. In, in the New Testament, it says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Same principle in the New Testament as in Psalm 103. He says, you need to rejoice you need to pray, and you need to be thankful. And a lot of times you say, I don't know what God's will is for this or that. I know one thing. In every circumstance, it's his will that you be joyful, that you pray about things, and very specifically, that you are a thankful, grateful person. So you know God's will. It may be a horrible situation. It may be a bad relationship. It may be a, an event you'd rather not be a part of or an action that happened that you'd rather not even know about. But he says, there is a place that you need to be thankful. And that is right now, right here, whatever is happening. That's what God says. That's God's will. We are to be characterized as grateful, thankful people, blessing God's name at all times. <clears throat> Now, what are those benefits that he has given to us? First of all, and we're going to pick this up in verse 3. Excuse me a second. We're going to pick it up in verse 3. Because he is a God who pardons us. Notice what it says, verse 3. Who pardons all our iniquities, who heals all our diseases. 
The word pardon basically is a, is a synonym for the word forgive. He is the one that forgives us for all those things that we have done wrong. If I was God, I wouldn't forgive me. But he chooses to do it. That's one of those benefits that he has given us. He has pardoned us. We need to keep that in mind. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, your sins have been forgiven. If you haven't, that's what you need. If you're going to be able to bless God's name because he's pardoned us, you need to accept his forgiveness. See, Jesus Christ died on the cross, shed his blood, because that was the only payment that was sufficient for the sins of the whole world and your sins. If you've not trusted Christ, you, you really won't be able to bless God's name in this way because you haven't been pardoned. But the provision has already been made for you. <clears throat> It says he pardons all of our iniquities. Iniquities and the whole concept of guilt go together. Guilt, by the way, is anything that you do that you know you deserve negative consequences for. You know that you should be judged because you did that. <clears throat> and that's what it's talking about here. He is pardoned, forgiven our iniquities. Those things that we absolutely know were wrong and we know that we should be judged for them. He has forgiven us for those things. Those things that have offended God and offended others. But he goes on to say, who heals your diseases. There is no doubt in my mind that God absolutely can physically heal people. There's no doubt about it. Uh, we might as well quit prayer meeting if we don't believe that because we pray for people's physical ailments on a regular basis. But I don't believe that that is the context of this verse. And when you look at the whole rest of the context, it is talking about spiritual things. In fact, there's a number of other places in the Bible uh, are very specifically talking about spiritual disease. For example... It says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick or wicked. Who can understand it? God knows that from the very inside, and that's what heart means, everything. Remember, we're to bless God with all that's within us. But here it says, all that is within us is desperately wicked, evil, sick. He's not talking about physical sickness at this point. He's talking about spiritual sickness. We, it's so bad, it's so deep, that we don't even fully understand it. We use a concept in theology, total depravity. Lots of people have wrong ideas of what that means. All it means is this. Sin has affected you. Oh, yes, it's affected you physically. That's why you're dying. Oh, sorry about that, but you are. Uh, whether you like that or not, that's the truth. You may not know when and how, but we're all in that process. But it's affected us emotionally and mentally. All of us are emotionally unstable. Mentally, well, I'll speak for myself, not all that bright at times. And spiritually, we're separated from God. It's so bad that we don't fully comprehend it. Who can know it? But God is big enough. He has provided enough that he can pardon us even if we cannot grasp that. Another passage that's found in three of the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke 
refers to something we say, Jesus is the great physician. No doubt about that. He is. But a lot of times we get carried away and miss what he's talking about. Let me read what it says. There were a number of Pharisees who didn't like what Jesus was doing. And they came to him in Matthew chapter 9 and they said, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with tax gatherers and sinners? But when he, that is Jesus, heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. So he was saying, well, if you have a physical ailment, no big deal. Go to a doctor. In fact, if you're a man, your wife is always hounding you. Go to the doctor because you don't want to go. Right, Rick? Is that true? Okay. Um, that's the way it is in my house. So you ought to go to the doctor. It's like, I'm alive yet. I'll go if I need to. You guys all know what I'm talking about? You all women all know what I'm talking about too. But anyhow, so nothing wrong with going to a doctor. If you're sick, go to a doctor. But that's not the emphasis of this passage. Verse 13 there says, But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And in Luke it says, But I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, his emphasis was not on physical healing or doing physical miracles like feeding thousands of people. He did those things, no doubt about that. I believe that. And he still can do those things today. But that was not the basis and the emphasis of his ministry. The emphasis and basis was the spiritual needs we had. We needed pardon. We needed forgiveness. We needed to have a right standing with God. That's why he came. That's why Jesus died. So that we could have a right standing. That our sins could be pardoned, forgiven. Those things that should have brought judgment. Hell, the lake of fire, eternal separation from God. Those things have been dealt with. And how do I know? What's the context? Look at verse 9. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness to those who fear him. Notice what he says. He says, it's not always going to be an adversarial relationship. We were born, according to Romans chapter 5, enemies of God. Well, I'll tell you what, if you don't like the whole concept of sin and the whole concept of a holy God, you're not going to like that. But God said we were born into this world, separated from God, and not only just separated, but we were his enemies. While we were still enemies, Christ died for us. That's what he did for us. That's what we needed. Why should we bless him? Because he is the one that provided for pardon for our sins, and we can know that for reality in our lives when we trust Christ as our Savior. And so that adversarial relationship is not always going to be there. He's not always going to be dealing with us in his anger forever. He hasn't dealt with us according to our sins. If he did that, guess what? We're all had. We're already heading to hell. 
to the lake of fire. Separation and staying separated from, separated from God and staying separated from God. But that's not how He's dealt with us. In spite of our sin, in spite of what we have done, He has still been loving and kind toward us. Notice what it says in verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him, those that reverence Him, those that worship Him, those who stand in awe of Him. The word loving kind is a big word. In the New Testament, it takes about a half a dozen words to equal this one Old Testament concept. It has to do with faithful, loyal love. It has to do with mercy. It has to do with grace. It has to do with a whole lot of concepts. Trust and loyalty. All of those wrapped into one word. I think it's the strongest word in the whole Old Testament. It has a broad perspective. Grace and mercy. Love and faithfulness. And ultimate bottom line, covenant loyalty. He said he would do it. He made a unilateral covenant, and he's going to carry it out. That's how he's dealt with us. You didn't deserve it. Your sins showed the opposite. He didn't deal with us according to our sins. He dealt with us us according to his loving kindness. Wow. That's a great God. When you sing about a great God, I hope that maybe next time it even has a, a greater, deeper meaning for you. Because it's unfathomable what he has done for us. Now, how did he get rid of our sins? He's pardoned us. We're still on point number one. The next verse tells us how he has done it. It says that as far as the east is from the west, so has he removed our transgressions from us. Notice he did not say as far as the south is from the north or the north is from the south. The old joke is... If a polar bear is chasing you and you are standing on, a polar bear is coming after you and you're standing on the North Pole, which direction do you run? South, because there is no other way to go. Because when you go so far north, you have to go south. You go so far south, you have to go north. But if you go east and west, you can keep going. He is saying, I have gotten rid of your sins and they're going that way and they're keeping going. They're not coming back. He has indeed forgiven our sins, as far as, as separated our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. But he doesn't stop there because it's very interesting. <clears throat> In the Old Testament, he gives us three other analogies that will help to explain how great his pardon was. He tells us that he will, in Micah chapter 7, that he will trample our iniquities underfoot. I got to tell you, you do not take your wife's engagement ring and throw it on the floor and stomp on it. You don't take something of an antique or something that's valuable in your home and throw it on the floor and walk on it. You don't do that. The things you walk on are things you don't care about because you just don't care. I, I was trying to find something that would illustrate that. And the only thing I could find is a big earth mover on a garbage dump. Now, What are they doing? They want to make sure everybody sees the garbage? No! They are smashing the garbage down, trying to get rid of it, covering it up so nobody ever has to see it again. I'm not sure if that's going to happen or not, but that's what they're trying. God has no regard for our sin anymore. It's been paid for by Christ. He treads it underfoot. 
and he has bigger than any payloader that I've ever seen. And boy, that trash represents our sin pretty well. But he's smashing it down, getting rid of it. But that verse doesn't stop there. That passage doesn't stop there because he says that he puts it into the depths of the sea. Now, I understand. I got, I got instruction afterwards. The Mariana Trench is the deepest part of the ocean. It's in the Pacific Ocean. It's not all that long, but it is the deepest part of the ocean. It's 35,797 feet deep. I didn't know this, but Russ told me after the first service that literally they had a little what, like submarine that went the whole way down there, and they've checked it out. That's probably the only time they've done that. 6.8 miles. Some of you that live around here, that's go to the square of Middletown and come back. That's how far the deepest part of the sea is underneath. Anything below about two miles is pitch dark. You can't see anything. I've got to tell you, you don't put something down uh, 6.8 miles that you want to be reminded about again. He says, he has taken our sins and buried them into the deep part of the sea. He cast them into the deep part of the sea. Mount Everest, by the way, is 5.5 miles high. So you could take Mount Everest upside down and stick it in there, and you'd still have about a mile to go yet before you get to the bottom of it. You know what? When he gets rid of your sin, he gets rid of it. Do you have something to praise the Lord and bless his name about? Amen. Amen. Okay, great. I'm glad you're listening. Because we do. We absolutely do. He's pardoned us. But one last thing. He tells us he casts our sin behind his back. And you will find that if you wanted to look it up in Isaiah chapter 38, verse 17. He says he's cast our sins behind his back. If, if you want to appreciate a painting, you put it in front of you, not behind you. If you want to be reminded of something, you put it in front of you. If you're enthralled by something, you put it in front of you. You don't turn your back on. You don't throw it over your back. Because those are things you never want to think about again. You never want to have to deal with again. That's what God does with our sin. Now, I like the Old Testament because it gives us a, it helps us to get a grip on spiritual points and theological points. It gives us stories and it gives us illustrations. Here are just four of them to illustrate what God does with our sin. How he deals with it. John the Baptist in the New Testament, he boiled it down to one verse. He saw Jesus coming unto them and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In one verse he puts it all together. But let's face it, sometimes, okay, I, yeah, hey, that's great. But the Old Testament gives us some way to put some flesh on it. Buries it in the deepest sea. Throws it behind his back. Tramps on it far as the east is from the west. We have something to be thankful for. We are a privileged people, and we need to live that way. But not only does he give us pardon for sin, this chapter goes on to tell us that he also provides for us. Verse 4 says, He who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like an eagle. He has given us what we need. He satisfies our years with good things. 
I was thinking about the things that we really like and, and we're thankful for. And sometimes we, we don't really deal with them all that well. But in this case, I remember, I'm think, I was thinking back, two times this happened in my life. When we were teenagers, somehow or the other, my mom had this stuff, I forget it was called, salad dressing or something like that, but it was like mayonnaise with a pickle relish in and we just really liked that stuff. And we would eat just a couple slices of cheese on bread with this stuff on. We ate it so much that one day I was at an FFA show with my cattle, and I ate the last bite of that I ate for up until last year. I just got so sick. I was thankful. Man, we really liked that. And we ate it all the time. And I finally just got sick of it. About a year ago, I tried. I took a mayonnaise and put some pickle relish on. I could actually eat it and enjoyed it again for the first time in about 40 years. But I was thankful for it, you know. And, oh, i got to tell you the other one. Because it has to do with sandwiches, too, I was thankful for. My wife, before I was married, you know she lived right out here at the end of the church. Um, when I would go down over the hill to, to go to work, she, being really nice to me, I guess she was trying to impress me or whatever. But every morning I would stop in and pick up my lunch. And we had gone to the store and bought a loaf of bread. And we bought a, a jar of peanut butter and a jar of jelly. And uh, for I don't know how long it took to eat all that. But we were, I was eating it every day. And the last day at the bottom of the peanut butter jar, there was about enough for two sandwiches. And she decided she was done. I think it was a Friday, and she didn't want to do it anymore for peanut butter. She put all that peanut butter on one sandwich. i got to tell you, I had milk, I had an apple, I had chips. Everything that I had in there, I was trying to eat with this sandwich. I was done with peanut butter and jelly for a long time. Because it had been provided, I was thankful, but I overdid it. God's way of supplying doesn't do any of those kinds of things. Because when he provides, at the end, it's still a good thing after it's over. He satisfies our years with good things. He says he renews your youth as an eagle is renewed. Now, if you go on the internet, you can do this if you want. It's fruitless. But if you go on the internet, and it's a lot of Christian sites, they'll say, oh, this is what it means, and this is what eagles do. And I looked this up. I knew this from before, but I looked it up again. There are whole slideshows that say uh, an eagle lives 20, 30 years, and then they go for 150 days without eating, that their beak falls off, and their talons fall off, and all their feathers fall off. And 150 days later, all their feathers grow back, and all their talons grow back, and their beak grows back, and then they live for another 20, 30 years. So if you don't believe me, go on the Internet. There's actually a whole slideshow on there of this. It's just totally bogus. Because if that's the case, then I'd be up here, hey, let's have a revival meeting and everybody get their life together and we can go on for another 20, 30 years. But that is not how the Christian life works. That is not how God renews us. And by the way, that is not how he renews an eagle. An eagle, like all other birds, or at least most other birds, does molt, which means their feathers come out. But just like your hair. Now, my hair went out and never grew back. Some of the rest of you, it... All your hair is falling out, whether you're bald or not, but it grows back. Some, some grows, falls out and others grows back and it keeps going. Some of us just got to the end and it doesn't grow back anymore. But that's what an eagle does. Every summer it loses some of its feathers, but it also gains other feathers at the same time. 
You know what? That's how God renews us. It's not this big, I made a choice today, I'm going to praise God for the rest of my life, and I'm going to grow as a Christian, and I'm going to really get my life together. I hope you make a decision like that. But that is not what God is really talking about. It's a process, ongoing, year after year, choice after choice. He provides on an ongoing basis for our spiritual life and for our physical life. He continues to do that. And he goes on in verses 7 and 8 to say, This is what he made known to Moses and to the sons of Israel, that he is compassionate, that he is gracious, that he is slow to anger, that he abounds in, that same word we looked at before, loving kindness. It's ongoing. It's consistent. And we need to consistently thank God. Bless His name. It's not, I did it Sunday morning, so I'm okay this week. No, it's every day. It's every hour. It's every opportunity. It's not, I did it years ago. I'm okay. No, it's ongoing. That's how we're renewed as an eagle. But one last thing. God protects us. Look, if you would please, to verse 6. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. Just like a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more. And its place acknowledges it no longer. He says, he knows what we're like. Cut your grass Saturday morning. By Saturday evening, if it's a, if it's a warm, sunny day with a little breeze, that grass is all gr- dried up already. It's gone. It's totally dried up. It's ready to blow away. He says, God knows that's what we're like. We really don't have stamina. We really cannot stand up on our own against whatever's happening around us, the sin around us, the sin in us. We, we just don't stand up very well because we're like grass. It, it doesn't take much to get rid of it. He knows our frame. He's mindful that we're but dust. He knew how he created us. He knows what we're like. And he knows that it's his provision that protects us. It's His Word that protects us. It's what He does that protects us. Now, I know we're to protect our children and protect others and those kinds of things. Don't stop doing those things. But ultimately, those are futile unless God is the one doing it. You know? Unless the Lord build a house, nothing's going to come of it. He's the one that needs to do it. It goes on to say in verse 17, but the, and here's the word again, the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. Wow. He's the one that has not only provided for us, but he provides it for our children. And by the way, Parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. He's not saying you don't have something to pass on to your children. But ultimately, unless it's done in his power, it comes to nothing. 
And yes, you should pass down to your children and your grandchildren godly habits and, and thoughts and, and just encouraging in those, them in those directions. But ultimately, it's His power. He's the one that keeps the covenant. He's the one that remembers and carries out the precepts that He has made available to us. And then in verse 19, it says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His sovereignty rules over all. We're fragile. Our institutions are flawed. Our government, you know, I'm I'm glad we live in the United States, but our government's flawed. The science of this temporal world, uh, I'm I'm glad for technology and and all the, the great things the world has to offer. But you know what? I've come to the conclusion a long time ago that every time we solve one problem, we make 10 more problems that we have to have 10 more solutions to. Living's a dirty business. It really is. We live in a sin-cursed world. We have sin-cursed bodies. Only God ultimately is the one that establishes. He is the one that rules over all. We just don't have it. And I've got to tell you, there's only one response to all of this. I'm going to bless His name. I'm going to praise Him. Because I know what my limitations are. I'll admit them most of the time. Every now and then I get a fat head. But you know what? Most of us will admit that most of the time. He's the one that pardons us. Sin, man, it bobbles up, us up badly. He's the one that provides for us. Yeah, we have a job and we do what we're supposed to do. But ultimately, we know that without his health and strength and, and the encouragement from him, we blow it. Ultimately, We can't even protect ourselves, much less anyone else. He's the one that does it for us, in us, and through us. He's the one that does it. And we need to be reminded that he is the one that will continue to do that. And here's how it ends. I told you we'd end this way. Verse 20 says, Bless the Lord, you his angels. Same command. He commands the good angels to bless his name, to praise his name. And then he goes on to say, they're mighty in strength who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. We've been looking at angels in prayer meeting for several months now. And really what it comes down to is they are the ones that carry out God's will. They speak on his behalf and work on his behalf. He says, angels, the ones that I've sent forth to do my job, you are to bless my name. And then he says, bless the Lord, all you his hosts simply means there's armies. The only two armies I'm aware of are man and angels. We're to bless him. You who serve him doing his will. Verse 22 says, Bless the Lord, all you works of his, in all places of his dominion. Grand Canyon? Yeah. A flower, a tree, an animal, a rock. What do they do? They don't have a mouth. Uh, they, they can't praise Him the same way we do. They can't make choices to praise Him. But what they do is, as I, the only thing I can figure out is they scream out, There is a Creator! Look to Him! He's the one you need to focus on. He's the one you need to praise. You don't worship me. You worship Him. You don't get stuck here. You keep your gaze in the right direction. That's what they do. And then it ends, as it began, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Paul Malfair, remind yourself, be a thankful person. 
Raise his name up. Bless his name. And guess what? If that's true of me, all the rest of you, it's true of you also. That's our reminder this morning. Let's all stand together as we leave this place. And I hope that we're encouraged, challenged to make sure that we keep our voices, our hearts, our attitudes, and our actions praising God on a continual basis. Father, thank you so much that you've challenged us from your word, from your truth. Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit will continually remind us, instead of being dissatisfied and grumpy and all the other things that we tend to very easily be, that we would be praising, grateful, thankful people, recognizing the one who pardoned our sins, recognizing the one who provides for us, and recognizing the one who protects us at all times. Lord, we thank you for that through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless and go with God.